Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 154. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, this is part one of the season three finale. You guys, I can't believe we're here. I want to give you all a very warm welcome and say I'm so grateful that you tune in every week. It's a treat to get to do this show, and I have been so energized at pulling together this episode, which is a look back, and it's a brand new show. It's looking back at three of the most meaningful and impactful conversations and most joyful conversations that I had during this season. So I'm going to do a mashup of um, and a revisit of the discussions that I had with Fred LeBlanc, who is the lead singer of the band Cowboy Mouth, with Psychotherapist, Julia Samuel, who is the author of the book Grief Works, and with Suzanne Colon, who is the author of Yoga Mind. These conversations all happened in March and April of 2018, so this year. And it was really interesting that as they unfolded, I felt that the three of them were resonating together in a super interesting way. What I discovered was that these three conversations really started to provide a new lens for me around how I see joy and the bookend of joy being griefed and how these two things and our vast emotions as being humans really are impacted by our mindfulness There was a lot in each of these conversations about how we can move through our own emotions, how we can accept the reality of our situation and our emotions, and how we can further choose joy and what that means for us as part of our human experience. And so I've found that I've gone back in my own mind and revisited parts of each of these discussions because they really left an impact on me and on my heart and on my soul. And so that's why I'm super excited to share them now as part of this finale. Next week's portion of the finale will be another favorite thing to do, which is the top 10 countdown. So the most downloaded episodes of season three is what we'll be revisiting then. But this is really a deep dive on some of the deeper learnings that I personally have gotten out of season three. So before we get there, um, if you are new, uh, welcome. I am so excited you're here. If you want to find out more about the show or about me, All of the information is at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And there's show notes for this specific episode. I will link up to the original longer um, interviews with each of these three people. If you want to take a deep dive there, if you are curious about the rest of what we talked about, Um, they're all outstanding interviews. Really, I I encourage you to do that. You can find the show notes for this jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash season three. (laughs) and it'll also be on the homepage right this week. Um, And of course, while you're over at the website, there's 153 other amazing, joyful episodes just waiting for you to listen. 
And you can also interact with me more on Instagram, where I am at jumpstartyourjoy. Um, I love posting some of the quotes from the show and interacting with people there. So I hope you will find find us find me there. And also, if you are inspired by this episode, I encourage you to show to share this with somebody else that maybe is working through their own emotions or is somewhere on that on their own personal growth journey and this maybe you feel like they this would speak to them in some bigger way. So you can grab the link, jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash season three and send it on to a friend. So let's just jump right in because this is such deep territory. What I'm going to do, just so you have a sense of the format for this, is I'm going to give a little bit more of a synopsis than I usually do around the interviews that I had with these three guests. And then I'm going to play portions of each of these interviews to kind of illustrate the points that stood out for me as we work through the topic. So what we'll be talking about is how these three guests and the discussions that we had really opened up the the idea of emotions and joy and grief and how we work through and live through those emotions and get a deeper sense of our own selves as part of our human experience. The first one, like I said, was the conversation with Fred LeBlanc. Back in episode 124, I believe, Fred is, of course, the very outspoken and enthusiastic uh, lead singer and drummer, which is, is kind of an unusual combo, but lead singer and drummer for the band Cowboy Mouth, which is out of New Orleans, and I was first introduced to them by my now husband. One of the things that I was really curious about, and that came up really early in the discussion with Fred, is this idea of energy and how he uses it. And something that was really eye-opening and beautiful in this discussion, I felt, was Fred opened up about his own personal experience with a recent divorce. And he talks a lot about how he took the energy and some of that being negative emotions and decided very mindfully to turn this around in his life. And I think this is one of those really, this is one of the things that stood out for me about this is that much of what Fred and I talk about is how how we react to the circumstances in our lives is our choice. And of course, this ties right back with the kind of the foundational quote that this podcast started with, which is joy is a choice and we must keep choosing it, which is a quote from Henry Nowen. And he is a Christian uh, writer and author. And what I really love is that while we weren't speaking about Christianity specifically, that Fred really dives in and gives this beautiful example of how choice is really at the heart of how we react to things in our lives. I got, I went through a really rough divorce about three years ago. It was really, really bad. And I realized that, you know, whenever you go through some sort of a loss, especially if it's an intimate loss, like, you know, something along those lines, this feeling that I had was just coursing through my body. And, you know, it was very tangible. I could feel it, you know, and it was just, it was a combination of grief and rage and everything like that, you know, and then I kind of realized, you know, because I've been through, you know, different things in life as we all have. And I just thought to myself, it's like, I, I just don't have, I can't go through this again. Mm-hmm. I can't do this again. I just can't, you know, and I went through the whole thing where you just kind of, 
you know, you lose a lot of weight, you know, you're basically, your body's on an adrenaline high constantly because, you know, it's, it's that type of thing. I realized that, you know, once again, if you look at it in terms of energy, it's like, okay, what's, you know, a lot of people think, okay, what's the opposite of love? And you know, people say hate. I was like, no, that's not it at all. The opposite of love. Love and hate are basically the same thing on a very core level in that they are intense energies focused in a particular direction. Mm-hmm. You know, the opposite of love or hate is apathy. I wasn't there by a long shot, but then I thought, I just be just sitting somewhere and just literally just dying, you know, just going insane. And then it's like, wait, 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 wait. You know, take your energy back. Take your energy back. Because I realized that every time I was feeling really just depleted or worn out, my mind would wander. What are they doing? What is she doing? What are they doing? You know, what's going on? My mind was wandering outside of myself. It's like, and I had to consciously, consciously tell myself over and over again to take my energy back. And sometimes I even had to say it out loud. Hmm. Yeah. And it it didn't work. It wasn't like, boom, like, oh, I'm healed or anything like that. But the one thing I noticed is once I consciously took my energy back, that feeling, that feeling of just having a boulder on your chest dissipated for like five, ten seconds, Mm -hmm. you know. But I realized, wow, this is is something. And it got to the point, I was like, okay, I really have to be conscious of taking my energy back and not sending that energy out to people or things that would be destructive for me. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a very eye-opening thing, once again, the whole energy thing of just where to put my energy and where to put my consciousness and try to focus that back either on myself or doing things that would make me feel stronger, feel better, that would uh, empower me or you know, people around me or friends, loved ones, things like that, instead of... I'm subconsciously focusing on things that were killing me. Yeah. And that was a pretty powerful realization for me. It took me some time, obviously, but, you know, because, you know, healing always takes time. But it was a break that I really needed. Mm-hmm. And I found that once I was able to direct the energy where I wanted it to go, instead of unconsciously just letting it fly anywhere, you know, controlling my thoughts, controlling my energies, things like that. I could put my energy, the energy of grief or whatever, into a performance and have it be something that really, instead of just raging, I could actually use that energy because the energy is going. Right. Where you put it is up to you. And the thing that really stood out for me in this part of this discussion with Fred is that acknowledgement that, and it's almost like the teachings of Pema Chodron, which come up often in the show, but is that one is acknowledging that there is a thought and that it has a possible impact, but that there's the choice that one explores this thought of, I'm upset because I've been divorced or I've had a negative thing happen to me. And that instead of, of falling into the space of then being a part of the negative reaction that is a possibility when we have something hard happen in our lives, that Fred is recognizing that he has a choice in how he reacts to it. And it's very similar to Randy Pausch, who is the author of the last lecture of we can't control the hand that we are dealt, but we can control how we play the cards. So that's what I really loved about Fred's acknowledgement there. And the next thing that 
we also talked about in this interview that I felt was kind of pushing this idea a little bit further was how he has in the past revisited something. And in this situation, it was that he, there have been times being the front man for the band that, you know, they've come up against monetary difficulties or financial difficulties. And he's, he's found himself having to go back to this thing that he knows is joyful. He loves creating music. He's, you know, a musician by trade and by choice. But when that's become hard, and when it's become something that is no longer as joyful as it had once been, how do you get back into that space? And that's what all that's what last week's episode is, was all about. And so if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that as well. But like, so I really love that he took the time to also unpack when the energy isn't there or it's not, you're not feeling something in the way that you maybe used to feel it. How do you re-energize yourself and get back in touch with that thing that you loved and allow it to bring you joy once again? You know, and there have been times when I couldn't stand what I did, you know, because it would, I'd get burnt out, mm-hmm. you know, long tours and things like that, or, you know, you're having money problems and things like that. There are real reasons to be afraid and worried and everything, and it got to the point where I didn't like playing music, but I was stuck doing it because it was my job's the only way to make money, so I, I had to teach myself how to fall in love with what I was doing again, you know, and I had to kind of look at it from what do I bring to the game here that I love? What what about a character control that I love? Okay, well, you know, it's not going to be money because money comes and goes. It's not going to be audience response because, you know, yeah, people genuinely and generally like what we do, but you can't depend outside of yourself. You know, you can't, you can't look outside yourself for your own satisfaction. Otherwise you'll be chasing your tail for the rest of your life. And, it got to the point where I had to I had to figure out what exactly do I enjoy about playing the drums? What exactly do I enjoy about performing? You know, the energy. But like, you know, it got to the point where I was like, okay, what do I enjoy? And I really, I realized that I really enjoy the feeling of a drumstick in my hand, just hitting the drum, just hitting it, just the feel of hitting that, just that power. Mm-hmm. And once I really allowed myself to enjoy that feeling again, that feeling permeated. It's like, wow, I really enjoy playing this song. And then I really enjoy playing this show. And I really enjoy doing this again. And once I was able to kind of find my joy in what I do, even though it was minuscule, and it didn't change things in terms of the situation, there were still the same problems. But it was the perspective I looked at it, I was able to put a better energy into it. And once again, what you put into something is what you get out of it, ultimately. So I was able to kind of find that joy through finding the most minute thing and then allowing that feeling to permeate through the rest of the activity. Mm-hmm. And all I did really was just kind of change my own perspective, change my own view. You know? mm. I love that because, and it's so, I don't know if you've, went, if you've read Wayne Dyer, but it's so like... The other part that really stood out for me throughout this conversation and even while we were speaking was I really... The conversation with Fred was one of those that was kind of a a dream come true for anybody that's an interviewer because I really respect and honor that he was willing to open up and talk about some really deeply personal things, you know, both about a recent divorce and about very real financial situations that have come up for him in the band. And he doesn't shy away from the hard questions, but in the same breath, he also doesn't shy away from 
having a really real conversation with someone that he frankly barely knows. And so first, thank you so much, Fred, for for going deep and for really exploring so many interesting and deep topics. It was a total joy and a dream come true to get to speak to you and then to have the conversation that we had was simply mind-blowing. As we were closing out our time together, uh, Fred also talked about really kind of his his self-awareness and how he can trust his own intuition to steer him in the right direction. And I really appreciated that he opened up about this as well. Biggest resistance I've ever met in my life is when I forget to do one simple thing, Mm. to have faith in myself, to trust my intuition. You know, whenever I forget to do that, my life turns into like a a freeway pile on. Mm. It's just crap because I forget I had that connection that we all have. And I forget to listen to the voices sometimes that say, hey, this isn't good for you, or hey, this is a good idea, do this, you know. I find that when I listen to my intuition, and you know, you know, you have to practice to see what's intuition and what's ego, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, when I listen to my intuition, it never steers me wrong. Mm. And when I don't listen to it, I have to find my way back to it, you know. And that just comes in faith you know, with faith in myself. And now when I say faith in myself, I'm not talking about thinking that I'm the bee's knees or anything like that. You know, it's, it's, you know, you have to have enough faith in yourself to understand that you have the ability to learn, you know, and learning is the main reason we're here, I think. So, Mm. but every time I've stumbled in my life, it's when I've forgotten to trust myself. Yeah. I like it. I like like that observation because I think it's so core and so like relatable. Yeah. And then my last question is, and there was something so real and resonant about the way Fred talked about resistance and something kind of raw and vulnerable about it too, about how when we give in to the space of being disconnected to ourselves or when we let ego take over or when we deny our own intuition, we become disconnected. And I really love that he gave that a voice. Um, and so thank you so much, Fred, for being you and being real and being on the show and sharing so much of your heart. There's one other line that I really loved that came out as we we were rapping. And he he made mention of, you know, be sure and laugh because you know, do a, give a, give a real belly laugh because that's where the good air is. And I find myself some days just kind of reflecting on that when I'm laughing really hard with my son or something really strikes me and I laugh really hard. I just think about, yeah, you're right, Fred. <laughs> the good air is in that space. Um, what's so striking too about this conversation and about the very real and vulnerable things that Fred brought up about how grief impacts each of us in really very real ways, um, was then in just a week's time after that, I had the honor of speaking with Julia Samuel, who's a psychotherapist out of the UK and the author of the book Grief Works. Julia also has a very interesting tie that she was a good friend of Princess Diana and is, (laughs) I believe, the godmother of one of the princes. So... Very much a delight to get to speak with her. In our time together, 
I found that the real dance of the discussion with Julia and the thing that kind of broke me wide open and why I really was just delighted to, to speak with her was around this discussion of what, you know, both the play of what is the space in between joy and grief? Because I think there's something very interesting there. Um, And one of the things, not necessarily that came up in the discussion with her, but people are often uncomfortable around the two extremes. You know, sometimes we feel like people are too much when they are too joyful. And and that's something that gets said, you know, we tell children to (laughs) fall down when they're acting too hyper or too funny or whatever. But we also are just, we have a certain amount of discomfort around what to do when someone is grieving. And the thing that comes up that's so interesting about the work that Julia Samuel does is that her original her original work was around bereavement of children and working with also with children that are in grief um and so that's a really hard spot and i really enjoyed the conversation with her she's also a very real and personable soul and early on our discussion entered into the space where i told her that in graduate school i had taken pastoral counseling at Yale Divinity School was because I wasn't sure what to say to someone when they told me that they had just lost someone they loved. I think the, you're right that there isn't an answer, but the response that makes the most difference is acknowledgement, is mm-hmm. not trying to deny the grief or fix the grief or get the person to pull them out of their grief, but to and it's the tone that you said and the way that you said as much as what you say is acknowledged. I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. This is devastating. And being quite simple and straightforward, I think where people feel most injured is when they feel it's being dismissed in some way. And it isn't because people don't care. It isn't because people are kind of unkind. It's because they're scared. Mm -hmm. And they either walk to the other side of the street because they don't know what to say or they kind of tell themselves, well, you know, I'll be intrusive. I'll be upsetting them if I go and remind them of what's happened. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of shout extremely loud that you're not going to remind them of something. They're obsessed with this. This is all they're thinking about. Mm -hmm. And the single most important thing you can do is the kind of love and connection of others when someone has died. That's the big thing that makes the difference. Yeah. So just more acknowledgement if you know them well enough, a hug, if not, you know, just a, a smile. Mm-hmm. Um, people remember, you know, the, in my book there's a little tiny episode when someone's crying on a tube um, subway. Yeah. And someone, a total stranger, passes her a tissue. I mean, that stayed with her for four days. You know, it took one second. But it is those small acts of kindness that help you with that absolute total sense of coldness and isolation that people feel when someone they really love has died. Yeah. Mm, I love that that kind of reaching out. It's And it, like you said, it's so simple. I mean, that, that feels like one of the little places where you jumpstart joy is... Yeah. If it's not joy in that moment, it's that you've given somebody a connection to say, I see you and you're real and I see you have emotions and we're all in this together. But it's the it's the warmth of joy. 
you know, Joel has many different constellations, doesn't he? Mm. And it's the it's the thing that stays in your heart and warms you forever. I mean, she will never forget that moment. And it's a significant moment, as tiny as it was. And it is it was a joyful moment because it was such it was so straightforward and so kind and so unexpected, I think. And of course there's such beauty and simplicity in the way that Julia suggests that we meet someone, you know, when they have told us that they are in grief or when we see someone and we we don't even know their story, but we can sense that they are in some way grieving or kind of beside themselves and don't really know how to process their own human experience, that it really is as simple as passing, you know, a tissue to someone. And then that is opening the door for, um, a sense of belonging and, and a sense of I see you and 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 I love that Julia said the, the line in there about joy has many constellations like that line alone has resonated in my heart and soul since the time it was said um, and I really love kind of while we don't call it the butterfly effect it's that idea that our small actions oftentimes can then leave a mark on someone in a really lovely way that they may remember down the road um, many years from now. And it may give them a new sense of belonging and a new sense of joy. Um, and I thought there was something even in this part of the conversation, it became quite clear to me that there was a bookend happening <laughs> very early on um, with kind of the grief and the human experience that Fred had talked about and and even you know suffering in my own world, in my own life, that grief is grief and that our own hardships are similar in many ways. And and while Julia Samuel was talking about truly the loss of life and how we, we, you know, how bereavement works and how we grieve others, that there was something bigger about the human experience that was happening in here and, and how we all can experience extreme sadness and, and extreme loss. And yet we all still want to find joy even when we are in the midst of that sorrow and that loss. And the next the next thing that struck me was to ask Julia about Fred's experience, which we just heard about. And, and so here's her response about his experience of grief. And it brings back to me the, the conversation people can go back and listen to Fred LeBlanc, which is the lead singer of Cowboy Mouth. And he talked about divorce and knowing that he had all of this kind of grieving energy that had to go somewhere. And I think there was such wisdom in that, like knowing that he had to release it mm. or it was going to bring him down. And, you know, he was going to go to a, a place that he didn't really necessarily care to go. And so for him, it was drumming. I mean, he's a drummer. So that's where it went or it was performing because that's what he does. And, and is there a way if someone's grieving for them to direct it? I guess, is it healthy to direct it in a way that feels more positive? Or do you need to feel the really hard stuff to get through it? I think I think sort of yes and yes. I think, I mean, drumming is quite a physical thing. <laughs> and it's quite yeah. an expression of kind of rage. Mm-hmm. And grief feels like fear, but it also feels like hurt and rage. So drumming is, I can see, is immensely therapeutic. And also he'd feel potent. You know, he'd be on the stage, he'd be 
you know, drumming, doing the thing he's really brilliant at and really feeling connected to his emotion. And I can see, you know, what I talk about is that you need to find a way of expressing your grief. And that really would be a way of expressing your grief. And so that is therapeutic. But you can have all sorts of ways of expressing your grief that are not helpful, you know, where where you have fights with people, where you're, you know, constantly raging around. And anger, it's fine to kind of scream into a pillow or bash a pillow, but afterwards you have to do some kind of meditation to calm you down. And then you have to sort of switch, watch something funny or listen to something funny so that you don't stay in the anger. Because otherwise, if you trigger the anger and let it really be expressed and don't find a way of winding it down, calming yourself down, soothing yourself, it just multiplies. Mm. So... It's a, it's really about moving from states. I think it's, you know, it's allowing yourself time to talk to a friend or be sad or drum or, you know, do something that you feel is expressing your grief. It can be painting, it can be gardening, there's no prescription, but then doing also something that soothes you, that calms you, that distracts you, that allows you to have a break from the pain and kind of choosing to do both, I think is very, very helpful. And so with her response, both things got like meta in a in a hurry for me, right? Like I've just had a discussion about Fred LeBlanc with a psychotherapist and and she has commented on the humanity of his experience and at the same time shared our common the common thread here for many people. The other thing which was right there at the very end of the of what we just listened to from Julia Samuels was around making space. Like as you enter into a phase of your life, maybe if you're experiencing some sort of extreme grief, that we also need the balance of that emotion, which is joy, right? So when she's talking about you, you feel the hard emotion, you feel the grief, you feel the anguish, you feel the anger, but then you also need to make space in your life for the balance of that and and another emotion so that you don't get lulled into just the hardness of it. And I loved this part of this discussion so much because I felt like it burst open, open something very new for me, which is that joy isn't just a choice, but the joy is a necessity. And that in our shared humanity and in our human experience, we by whatever powers you may believe in, have been given both emotions, right? One, You can't have one without the other, but you also need both to have the fullness of our human experience. One informs the other. We grow, just as, as Fred has said and just as Julia has said, we grow through the feeling of the grief and the healing hurts, but that's how we become a new version of ourselves, And that's how we understand more of the depths of our experience by having the experience of both of the emotions. And so it was, I, I was really, really moving to get to speak to both of them about joy and grief, both Fred for his own personal stance on the experience, and then Julia from her depth of experience and working with so many people who have been in deep grief to hear her explain how we needed joy as the anecdote or as the shared experience of grief in the same time in the same place and that we need to allow ourselves to feel it that's the other thing that both of these people have just said is that in that moment 
Fred reaches for the drumstick and knows that he is going to feel joy and that's what he desires. And that Julia is explaining the same thing, that we need to balance it out. So the third of these interviews that really landed some of this for me is the discussion I had with Suzanne Kalan, and she is the author of Yoga Mind. She was also a senior editor at Oprah Magazine. So she has an amazing breadth of experience. And in her book, she talks about um, how one of her friends, Francesco, is he has an accident and is paralyzed. And she she helps him through the healing process by using the yoga mindset and not by doing necessarily the practice of the physicality of yoga because that's not something that Francesco can do. And And in her book, she talks about these properties of yoga and how they can apply to our everyday life, one of the things that she brings up is this idea of Santosha. And Santosha is contentment. And I really found that as we dove into it and when she exp- when she shared one of the experiences she's had with Santosha, I'm, I'm just going to let her explain it. Whereas what yoga has taught me is that uh, I can really find many, many occasions where I'm just, I'm sitting and thinking like, wow, everything is really great right now. And it's not dependent on externals. It's really, contentment is an inside job. I mean, there are lots of wonderful spiritual teachings from people who have been incarcerated whether due to criminal activity or uh, they have been taken prisoner in, in wars and things like that, where even they can find moments of peace. I talk about this in Yoga Mind. One of my experiences, one of my very profound experiences with Santosha, with contentment, was going to oncology appointments with my friend Marnie, whose story I also tell in the book. She was diagnosed with terminal cancer which you can imagine is not a very joyful time at all. And so we were going on all of these doctor's appointments. I was able to go with her because I was freelance at the time. You know, they asked the same questions over and over, you know, name, age, occupation, uh, where do you live, uh, what kind of pain are you having, when did you first notice, and it's the same thing. And what they're trying to do is make sure that all of the medical teams are on board Mm-hmm. But it does get just stultifying after a while. It's just like name, age, occupation, she'd start. So one day, I, we just, you know, she had to go in for a pretty major uh, surgery. And we just, you know, we started getting a little mischievous. <laughs> so when they said occupation, I, she took this deep sigh, like, oh, here I have to go again. And she was very weak at the time and very ill. And I said, she works in a nuclear power plant. <laughs> and they said, I'm sorry, it's not what it says here. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Marn, I really wish you had taken their advice and worn the hazmat suit when you were dealing with the nuclear disposal, the waste, you know. And she's like, yeah, but it's so unattractive. You know, it's baggy, doesn't come in any colors. You know, it's not, if only they could belt it, maybe. <laughs> and we cracked up. And these poor doctors and nurses were looking at us like, what on earth is wrong with them? Well, what was wrong with us is that we were terrified. You know, I mean, you hear terminal cancer and you're really like, wow, is there any uh, wiggle room in there? Not really. Okay. And um, we found a pocket of Santosha by being our usual mischievous, giggling selves. I also met Marnie while working at a magazine and we used to be in 
these very intense issue planning meetings and we like passing notes to each other and trying not to snort laugh our coffee out of our noses. And <laughs> we just had the best time. So we, that's when we were us and we reverted to that to get through these oncology appointments, which were just brutal. And it worked, you know, I mean, even in really upsetting circumstances, you can find pockets of Santosha of contentment. Mm-hmm. And it's it's beautiful. I mean, that really got us through the day. It was incredible. And the standout piece here for me is that Suzanne's experience and her description of this idea of Santosha, even in these moments where, in her example, that she and Marnie are faced with something that is truly devastating. They are in the midst of a human experience that is agonizing. And yet, at the same time, they can hold space to connect with something bigger than themselves, to connect with a joy between the two of them that is shared, and to bring about into the space something that makes them feel like more of themselves. There's something so beautiful about this idea of contentment. And I love that she calls it an inside job. I mean, both for the pun and kind of the humor of it, but that it's something that it is I'm going to say good and right to hang on to contentment when we see it and to call it out and to name it and to sink into it, to lean into it when it shows up. Because otherwise, and I feel like this really is kind of, if there's more than one bookend of the situation, like, you know, that that Fred could see the hardness in his situation and that he wanted more and that Julia is explaining something very similar in in situations where people are grieving or bereaved. And that this moment, this word of Santosha, and this moment that Suzanne is discussing is that we can also hold space in our lives for the shared experience of being in the midst of something difficult and hard and also noticing the goodness and the joy and the contentment in the moment at the same time. So it's not just like Julia was saying that we have to jump in and out, like we've got the experience of the hard and then we make room for the experience of the joy. But in this idea of Santosha, that maybe these things of joy and grief can interact and hold space in the same moment. And that we can be okay with that. And I think that's where these three conversations kind of dovetail in. And like, this is where it gets so juicy and exciting for me is that these are bigger, deeper I don't know, transcendent discussions of what joy and grief mean and what our human experience means and how we can each have our own experience of both the grief and the hardness of life, but that one, we all want joy. We all crave joy and connection that we can find it by listening to our intuition. You know, Fred talks about it. I feel like what Suzanne is explaining is that she and Marnie knew intuitively that they needed something joyful. They needed something bigger to hold on to when they're in the middle of that really hard experience. And there's some intuition involved with the story of the woman on the subway as well. Whoever that person was that reached out to give her, you know, a a Kleenex intuitively knew this person needs to feel that connection. So and then the last step is allowing for those things of, yeah, we can be in grief, but let's not be so afraid of the feeling of grief and 
and heartache and whatever else is wrapped up in that moment that we can't also make space for the human connection and the santosha and the con- the contentment and the potential joy because once you say yes to that santosha you're also saying yes in the future to a bigger sense of it meaning you're saying yes to the joy because we all can kind of smile and giggle about the story where Marnie's talking about, you know, <laughs> putting a belt on a on the suit. You know, there's something kind of silly and joyful and gleeful in that moment. And we can all kind of relate to it. And so and so that's where I find myself as this season wraps and and we look at these three amazing interviews that I have just feel so grateful to have been a part of um thank you to fred and julia and suzanne for being a part of this season and thank you to all my guests because it really is a treat to get to speak to each of you if you are listening and you're like oh my gosh i gotta hear the full conversation with the three of them please do go back and listen the um the links will be in the show notes and uh I really encourage you to go back and (laughs) just soak in the goodness of those three guests. Um, And also I'll link up to their books and their music and the other things that I've talked about here in this show at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash season three. And next week is the final wrap. It is the top 10 most downloaded shows of season three. And I will be counting them down (laughs) because don't we love that? Um, And uh, yeah, and I hope you'll come back next week for that. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.